Second part of chapter 7 of the second volume of The Life of Reason. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roland Magyar. The Life of Reason by George Santayana. Patriotism, part 2. True nationality direction on a definite ideal. Environment, education, fashion may all be powerful while they last, and may make it a prejudice to insist on race, turning its assumed efficacy into a sheer dogma, with fanatical impulses behind it. Yet in practice the question will soon recur. What shall sustain that omnipotent fashion, education, or environment? Nothing is more treacherous than tradition, when insight and force are lacking to keep it warm. Under Roman dominion, the inhabitants of Sparta still submitted to the laws of Lycurgus, and their life continued to be a sort of ritualistic shadow of the past. Those enfranchised helots thought they were maintaining a heroic state when, in fact, they were only turning its form into a retrospective religion. The old race was practically extinct. The ways of the Roman world, a kindred, promiscuous population, prevailed over that local ritual and rendered it perfunctory because there were no longer any living souls to understand that a man might place his happiness in his country's life and care nothing for oriental luxury or oriental superstition things coming to flatter his personal lust and make him useless and unhappy institutions without men are as futile as men without institutions before race can be a rational object for patriotism there must exist a traditional genius handed down by inheritance or else by adoption when the persons adopted can really appreciate the mysteries they are initiated into blood could be disregarded if only the political ideal remained constant and progress was sustained the laws being modified only to preserve their spirit a state lives in any case by exchanging persons and all spiritual life is maintained by exchanging expressions life is a circulation it can digest whatever materials will assume a form already determined ideally and enable that form to come forth more clearly and be determined in more particulars stagnant matter necessarily decays and in fact is false to the spirit no less than a spirit that changes is false to itself country well represented by domestic and civic religion the spirit of a race is a mythical entity expressing the individual soul in its most constant and profound instincts and expanding it in the direction in which correct representation is most easily possible in the direction of ancestors kinsmen and descendants in ancient cities where patriotism was intense it was expressed in a tribal and civic religion the lares the local gods the deified heroes associated with them were either ancestors idealized or ideals of manhood taking the form of patrons and supernatural protectors jupiter capitolinus and the spirit of rome were a single object to worship jupiter in that capital was to dedicate oneself to the service of rome a foreigner could no more share that devotion than a neighbor could share the religion of the hearth without sharing by adoption the life of the family paganism was the least artificial of religions and the most poetical its myths were comparatively transparent and what they expressed was comparatively real in that religion patriotism and family duties could take imaginable forms and those forms apart from the inevitable tinge of superstition which surrounded them did not materially vitiate the allegiance due to the actual forces on which human happiness depends misleading identification of country with government sporting or belligerent patriotism what has driven patriotism as commonly felt and conceived so far from rational courses and has attached it to vapid objects has been the initial illegitimacy of all governments under such circumstances patriotism is merely a passion for ascendancy properly it animates the army the government the aristocracy from those circles it can percolate not perhaps without the help of some sophistry and intimidation into the mass of the people who are told that their government's fortunes are their own 
Now the rabble has a great propensity to take sides, promptly and passionately, in any spectacular contest. The least feeling of affinity, the slightest emotional consonance, will turn the balance and divert in one direction sympathetic forces which, for every practical purpose, might just as well have rushed the other way. Most governments are in truth private societies pitted against one another in the international arena and giving at home exhibitions of eloquence and more rarely of enterprise. But the people's passions are easily enlisted in such a game, of course on the side of their own government, just as each college or region backs its own athletes, even to the extent of paying their bills. Nations give the same kind of support to their fighting governments, and the sporting passions and illusions concerned are what, in the national game, is called patriotism. Where parties and governments are bad, as they are in most ages and countries, it makes practically no difference to a community, apart from local ravages, whether its own army or the enemy's is victorious in war. Nor does it really affect any man's welfare, whether the party he happens to belong to is in office or not. These issues concern, in such cases, only the army itself, whose lives and fortunes are at stake, or the official classes who lose their place when their leaders fall from power. The private citizen in any event continues in such countries to pay a maximum of taxes and to suffer, in all his private interests, a maximum of vexation and neglect. Nevertheless, because he has some son at the front, some cousin in the government, or some historical sentiment for the flag and the nominal essence of his country, the oppressed subject will glow like the rest with patriotic ardor, and will decry as dead to duty and honor anyone who points out how perverse is this helpless allegiance to a government representing no public interest. Exclusive patriotism rational only when the government supported is universally beneficent. In proportion as governments become good and begin to operate for the general welfare, patriotism itself becomes representative and an expression of reason. But just in the same measure does hostility to that government on the part of foreigners become groundless and perverse. A competitive patriotism involves ill will toward all other states, and a secret and constant desire to see them thrashed and subordinated. It follows that a good government, while it justifies this governmental patriotism in its subjects, disallows it in all other men. For a good government is an international benefit, and the prosperity and true greatness of any country is a boon sooner or later to the whole world. It may eclipse alien governments and draw away local populations and industries, but it necessarily benefits alien individuals insofar as it is allowed to affect them at all. Animosity against a well-governed country is therefore madness. A rational patriotism would rather take the form of imitating and supporting that so-called foreign country, and even, if practicable, of fusing with it. The invidious and aggressive form of patriotism, though inspired generally only by local conceit, would nevertheless be really justified if such conceit happened to be well-grounded. A dream of universal predominance visiting a truly virtuous and intelligent people would be an inspiration toward universal beneficence. For every man who is governed at all must be governed by others. The point is that the others, in ruling him, shall help him to be himself and give scope to his congenial activities. When coerced in that direction, he obeys a force which, in the best sense of the word, represents him, and consequently he is truly free. Nor could he be ruled by any more native and rightful authority than by one that divines and satisfies his true necessities. Accidents of birth and training affect the ideal. A man's nature is not, however, a quantity or quality fixed unalterably and a priori. As breeding and selection improve a race, so every experience modifies the individual and offers a changed basis for future experience. 
the language religion education and prejudices acquired in youth bias character and predetermine the directions in which development may go on a child might possibly change his country a man can only wish that he might change it therefore among the true interests which a government should represent nationality itself must be included they are conditions and may contribute something mechanical forces we must not weary of repeating do not come merely to vitiate the ideal they come to create it the historical background of life is a part of its substance and the ideal can never grow independently of its spreading roots a sanctity hangs about the sources of our being whether physical social or imaginative the ancients who kissed the earth on returning to their native country expressed nobly and passionately what every man feels for those regions and those traditions whence the sap of his own life has been sucked in there is a profound friendliness in whatever revives primordial habits however they may have been overlaid with later sophistications for this reason the homelier words of a mother tongue the more familiar assurances of an ancestral religion and the very savior of childhood's dishes remain always a potent means to awaken emotion such ingrained influences in their vague totality make a man's true nationality a government in order to represent the general interest of its subjects must move in sympathy with their habits and memories it must respect their idiosyncrasies for the same reason that it protects their lives if parting from a single object of love be as it is true dying how much more would a shifting of all the affections be death to the soul they are not ends tenderness to such creative influences is a mark of profundity it has the same relation to political life that transcendentalism has to science and morals it shrinks back into radical facts into centers of vital radiation and quickens the sense for inner origins nationality is a natural force and a constituent in character which should be reckoned with and by no means be allowed to miss those fruits which it alone might bear but like the things it venerates it is only a starting point for liberal life just as to be always talking about transcendental points of reference primordial reality and the self to which everything appears though at first it might pass for spiritual insight is in the end nothing but pedantry and impotence so to be always harping on nationality is to convert what should be a recognition of natural conditions into a ridiculous pride in one's own oddities nature has hidden the roots of things and though botany must now and then dig them up for the sake of comprehension their place is still underground if flowers and fruits are to be expected the private loyalties which a man must have toward his own people grounding as they alone can his morality and genius need nevertheless to be seldom paraded attention when well directed turns rather to making imminent racial forces blossom out in the common medium and express themselves in ways consonant with practical reason and universal progress a man's feet must be planted in his country but his eye should survey the world what a statesman might well aim at would be to give the special sentiments and gifts of his countrymen such a turn that while continuing all vital traditions they might find less and less of what is human alien to their genius differences in nationality founded on race and habitat must always subsist but what has been superadded artificially by ignorance and bigotry may be gradually abolished in view of universal relations better understood there is a certain plane on which all races if they reach it at all must live in common the plane of morals and science which is not to say that even in those activities the mind betrays no racial accent what is excluded from science and morals is not variety but contradiction 
any community which had begun to cultivate the life of reason in those highest fields would tend to live rationally on all subordinate levels also for with science and morality rationally applied the best possible use would be made of every local and historical accident where traditions had some virtue or necessity about them they would be preserved where they were remediable prejudices they would be superseded end of chapter seven part two